Blog Talk Radio. The night before Christmas and all through the house. Daddy, my I can't see. You better listen for the reindeer on the roof. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. Let nothing you do say. A Christmas Carol. By Charles Dickens. This for the thirteenth year in a row. It is a Christmas carol. The little story about that little ghost this night of the tale of a tiny Tim and his crutch. May it hold their houses pleasantly. Listen for the same Ah, Mama and a kerchief, and I in my cap. I just settled down for a long winter's nap. But all of a sudden I hear, here on the, oh, what's that? Wait, I'm going to stop. There was a rose such a clatter that I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. From the top of the porch to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. What a horrible Christmas Eve it's been for Miss X. The first Christmas without her mother and brother. Let me wipe away the writing on this stone. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hand shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuary legatee, his sole friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, save St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. 
The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge and sometimes Marley. But he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to him. This is Miss X, and I am sending out to you a very merry Christmas. For those of you that are in mourning, I am there with you. If you have never lost your mother, I feel very sorry for you. There is no way to explain what it feels like and what I've been through or loss of my brother. To call into this show, would you like to? Call 657-383-1357. 657-383-1357. And again, Merry Christmas as you return to the white falling snow of London in the 1800s. Scrooge. It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy. In the final moments of Christmas Eve, I present to you a Christmas carol. My child's Once upon a time. All the good years in the year on Christmas Eve. Also, oh, those green and red, colorful, vibrant presents. Fighting weather. Foggy with all. And he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three. But it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day. Candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. Fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. See the dingy cloud come drooping down, obscuring everything. One might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. The door of Scrooge's counting-house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal-box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. 
Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter, an interesting case of spontaneous combustion, without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it, and would unquestionably have done it too. At last, I say, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room from whence, on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea, taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. Is it Molly? It was his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceilings were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright, gleaming, merry Christmas and a happy new year. You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings, which had no heartiness. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care tuppence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for a full five minutes. After it had passed away, they were ten times merrier than before, from the mere relief of Scrooge the baleful being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter, which would bring in, if obtained, full five and sixpence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when he came into the receipt of that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do, and how many hours she worked at the stretch, and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest. Tomorrow being a holiday, she passed at home. Also, how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before, and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter, at which Peter pulled up his collars so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you'd been there. All this time, the chestnuts and the jug went round and round, and by and by, they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow, from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family, they were not well-dressed, their shoes were far from being waterproof, their clothes were scanty, and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch of parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily, and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlours, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cosy dinner, with hot plates baking through and through before the fire, and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. 
There all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blind of guests assembling, and there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted and all chattering at once, crept lightly off to some near neighbor's house, where, woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches, well they knew it, in a glow. You all deserve happiness for this Christmas season and throughout your life. Toyin' it him and Bob Cratchit. And so I say, God bless it! Oh, it's never put a scrape for money in my pocket! Actually, it has. Where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of age pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children. But the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirits, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. Get along with you, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just as likely as not, said Bob, one of these days. Uh, there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure we shall... In one night... They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Spirits have got it all in one night. For yes and ever, Christmas Eve, that we share on this earth. Merry Christmas. I should hope I did, replied the lad. An intelligent boy, said Scrooge. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What, the one as big as me? returned the boy. Oh, what a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now, replied the boy. Is it? said Scrooge. Go and buy it. Walker, exclaimed the boy. No, no, said Scrooge. I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with a man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands and spitting with a laugh. You shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Jim. Joe Miller never made such a joke as sending it to Bob's will be. The hand in which he wrote the address was not a steady one, but write it he did somehow and went downstairs to open the street door, ready for the coming of the poultry's man. As he stood there, waiting his arrival, the knocker caught his eye. I shall love it as long as I live, cried Scrooge, patting it with his hand. I scarcely ever looked at it before. What an honest expression it has in its face. It's a wonderful knocker. Oh, here's the turkey. Hello, whoop, how are you? Merry Christmas. 
It was a turkey. He never could have stood upon his legs, that bird. He would have snapped and shot off in a minute like sticks of sealing wax. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town, said Scrooge. You must have a cap. A chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cap, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again, and chuckled till he cried. Shaving was not an easy task, for his hand continued to shake very much, and shaving requires attention, even when you don't dance while you're at it. But if he had cut the end of his nose off, he would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed himself all in his best and at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. And walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded every one with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant in a word that three or four good-humoured fellows said, Good morning, sir, and Merry Christmas to you. And Scrooge said often afterwards that of all the blithe sounds he had ever heard, those were the blithest in his ears. He had not gone far when, coming on towards him, he beheld the portly gentleman who had walked into his counting-house the day before and said, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. It sent a pang across his heart to think how this old gentleman would look upon him when they met. But he knew what path lay straight before him, and he took it. My dear sir said Scrooge, quickening his pace and taking the old gentleman by both his hands. How do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, said Scrooge. That is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon. And will you have the goodness? Here Scrooge whispered in his ear. Lord, bless me, cried the gentleman, as if his breath were gone. My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, said Scrooge, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, said the other, shaking hands with him. I don't know what to say to such munificence. Don't say anything, please, retorted Scrooge. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? Oh, I will, cried the old gentleman, and it was clear he meant to do it. Thank you, said Scrooge. I'm much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you. He went to the church and walked about the streets, and watched the people hurrying to and fro, and patted children on the head, and questioned beggars, and looked down into the kitchens of houses, and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that, any, that anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. But he made a dash and did it. Is your master at home, my dear? said Scrooge to the girl. Nice girl. Very. Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? said Scrooge. He's in the dining room, sir, along with his mistress. I'll show you upstairs, if you please. Thank you. He knows me, said Scrooge, with his hand already on the dining room lock. 
I'll go in here, my dear. He turned it gently and sidled his face in around the door. They were looking at the table, which was spread out in great array. For these young housekeepers are always nervous on such points and like to see that everything is right. Fred, said Scrooge, dear... This concludes the reading of a 